0: Today's reading is from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. To the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Hello. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for being in your house. We thank you for your word. Would you anoint me now to teach? Give us open and receptive hearts and minds to be moved and challenged by your word. We thank you for your presence in this place. Continue to be with us. Amen. It is great to see you. We meet on so many different occasions, but it seems as Mark has has said and, and, and handled so beautifully already, there's a, there's a solemnity to this day at the passing of our, of our beautiful Queen. The orchestra was playing on Thursday evening, and um, we heard of um, the Queen's death in the afternoon, and so the management changed slightly the programme, made it slightly more appropriate. And, uh, and we began with the National Anthem, it was... It, it was very profound in, in so many ways, probably one of the first UK orchestras to, to play the national anthem um, in this new context. Um, but as we were playing it, I, I suddenly realised it, it literally were, must have been a, a unique rendition, because I, I wasn't sure whether we were playing God Save the Queen or, I mean, officially we were absolutely playing God Save the King, but there was a very real sense that we were saying thank you <laughs> and goodbye, and also acknowledging King Charles III. You can see I'm a real royalist. It was, it was... But then the, the orchestra played some, some beautiful stuff that I wasn't involved in. It's probably beautiful because I wasn't involved in it. And, uh, and I sat there thinking about her life. Um, and then I... I was thinking about crumbs, what should we do Sunday morning what, with the sermon, what should we do? But, do you know, I was thinking about her life, and Claire and I have been talking the last few days, and I don't know about you, I, we, we grew to really love her Christmas messages. And she, she, you know, she cherished the throne, she cherished the honour of the fact that she was our, our ruler, but she always pointed to a greater ruler, didn't she? she? She, she didn't miss the honour of wearing... The crown, but she pointed to a greater crown, a higher kingdom. It's it's what gave her the fortitude, the resilience, the consistency, the servant-centered nature of her leadership. It was because she knew who she was, uh, but who she wasn't, and that's precisely. What I want to talk to us about this morning as we begin this, this new sermon series. As Mark said, we're going to, it's called Reignite, and we're, we're really excited about it. Uh, um, we, we love being church, part of this church family. I'm sure you do. I, I absolutely love SML. But there's quite a lot of us, right? Which is great. But although we, we spend time with each other, we, it's not possible to really always know what's going on. In each other's lives, it's not it's not always possible, you know. We, we say hi with these big smiles, and we hug each other, and we laugh and chat on a Sunday. But do you know, it could be that behind that smile that someone's given you this morning is someone who is broken because of a relationship that's gone wrong. Could well be that behind that warm embrace is someone who who does not know how they're going to manage this cost of living crisis. It could be that behind that, that, that hearty laughter is someone who does not know what their next move is. And, and if, you, if that word spoke to you that, that Mark just spoke out this morning, then hang on to that. If, if that word ministered to you, then hang on to that promise that God has got the path you're on. It might not look like it right now. But we all come in different shapes and sizes and, and in different places every Sunday. So we don't really know what's going on uh, behind you know, the, the brief encounters that we can have with each other. That's why deep and, and safe relationships with each other are so important. They're imperative in our church family. You, you can't have those relationships with everyone. But like I said to the first service, everyone needs those relationships. But that said, because of the last couple of years, this kind of bizarre, almost adjusted reality that we have together experienced this, since this heinous virus came into our lives and stopped us in our tracks since lockdown, which we all encountered together, though though we were affected by it very differently and, and reacted to it perhaps in different ways. Nonetheless, we all experienced being stopped in our tracks, this kind of breathless feeling of of everything being halted against our will. We experience that together. And so we can absolutely empathise with someone who, who may have struggled professionally, personally, financially, relationally, and of course spiritually. We get it because we also have been through that. So it's quite pertinent that we as a church family at the start of this new season are going to consider this sermon series briefly, Reignite. To reignite, that's what we're going to think about. A, a, a various parts of our life, we're going to think about reigniting the call to care for our planet. We're going to call, re, think about reigniting the call as followers of Jesus to, to live with transformational generosity. Next week, Mark's going to help us think about reigniting authentic family, relationship, community, what that must necessarily look like and feel like and act like. But this morning, if this sermon series is going to be worth anything, we need to necessarily start with ourselves, right? So we're going to talk about reigniting all this other stuff. And Lord, send revival, send, send them. We're going to think about reigniting our own spiritual passion. And to do that, to help us in our thinking, we're going to think about this passage that Lois just read to us from Revelation, this great climax of the biblical corpus. We, we rarely preach from it. It's a great book. It's an incredible book, but it's an intimidating book. It's intimidating for, for preachers and teachers. It's like a third longer than the book of Romans. But how many sermons have you heard from Paul's letter to the Romans? compared to, to Revelation. So let's just start with Revelation and get stuck into it. There's great teaching here. It's very difficult to, uh, to categorise Revelation as a piece of literature. It's, it's uniquely complex in, in so many ways. It is, it is absolutely what we call an apocalypsis. It's a, it's a piece of writing that unveils something. Dramatic, significant. The best translation is, is to reveal. So that's why it's called the Revelation. In this instance, it reveals God's warning to the church of what must necessarily happen if the church is to flourish and fulfil its potential. If it is to be the bride of Christ that it's called to be. It's this very clear warning. But in the Revelation 1, verse 3, we're told that it's also a prophecy. Blessed are those who receive this prophecy. So it's an apocalypse, it's a prophecy, but you see in the next two verses, four and five, that John clearly lays, out, lays it out very formally as an epistle, as a letter. And that's how the first century church would have received the revelation, as an epistle. So it's almost impossible to categorise. John wrote to these, these seven churches, but, but it's, it's not the revelation of John, of course. We, we know it's a revelation of Jesus Christ that was, via an angel, given to John. So the, the source of the revelation is God. He's the source of the revelation. He gives it to his first love, Jesus Christ, is the mediator of the revelation. He passes it on to his angel, who is a messenger of the revelation. He, he takes it to the disciple John, who is told to write it down. So he's the scribe of the revelation. And then John sends it around to the churches of Asia Minor, the seven churches of Asia Minor, and they are the recipients of the revelation, the churches being the churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, the little dynamic church in Philadelphia, and last but by no means least, the church in Laodicea. They were the recipients of this revelation. The church or the recipients of the revelation. And although Pergamum is the capital of Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, in every other respect, Ephesus is the first city of Asia Minor. If you want to understand first century Ephesus, then think about a place like New York or or a city called London, you know? Like an epicentre of what's going on in, in, in every respect, almost culturally, politically, strategically, financially, corporately, ideologically. And even spiritually, Ephesus was a very significant place because of its strategic position. You can read about the birth of the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Very exciting beginning. Full of hustle and bustle. Loads of energy in the church uh, in Ephesus. Not without its problems, but very exciting church. But by the time Jesus speaks into this church in Revelation, all is not well. There's a problem, which we will consider in a moment. And so he speaks to them because he wants them to be overcomers. He wants them to be overcomers. Verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He wants them to be overcomers. That's why we are here this morning. We want to be overcomers. And the beautiful thing about the living, breathing, transformational, relevant word of God is that though he speaks the revelation to the first century church of Asia Minor, so too the truth speaks to us here this morning in 21st century Paul, if we allow it to challenge our thinking, our lives, our spiritual journey. So let's think about what Jesus says to the church. He starts by saying, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands is literally the church. The golden lampstands are the seven churches. These are the words of him who is in your midst. Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, he's invisible, but he's amongst the churches. He's here this morning with this. We, we, We believe that the Holy Spirit is in our presence this morning, don't we? So, this is the observation. The Ephesians are reason, receiving this observation, not from some distant, disconnected deity who's up there, out there, making some pious observation. The, he wants them to understand I see you. I know you. I see your church. I am here in the midst, and from this position, from the immediacy of this position, I make these observations on your church. I know your deeds your hard work, your perseverance. Brilliant. If you're an Ephesian, first century Ephesian, and you receive this revelation from God, this kind of of end-of-term report, if you will, good start, right? I know your deeds. I know you just don't talk the talk that you walk the walk as a church. I see you. I see your hard work. He would say the same of St Mary's. I know he would say, I see your incredible youth ministry. I see your fantastic children's work. I I see the worship team. I see that you've got zillions of these little ministries going on. I see that you don't just talk the talk, but you put your money where your mouth is. I see your incredible church centre. It's amazing. I see the team that run it. I see the programme that they have to minister to your community. I see that you, SML, are a serving church that's a good start. The Ephesians would be pretty happy with that. And Jesus carries on. Next sentence. It gets better. He says, I know you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You haven't bought into any cheap gospel." Some latest evangelist has got a watered-down version for his own popularity's sake. You don't buy into it. Why? Because you take the word of God seriously. I see that, that you're a Bible-believing church, that you hang on to the gospel, the good news, the logos. That's what you're about. You don't buy into this. Somebody that wants to kind of shave the difficult edges. Not interested. I can see that you are a steadfast church. It gets even better. If they haven't puffed their chests out yet, they surely will now when Jesus continues. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Well, they could be forgiven for having a smug smile on their face now, the Ephesians, couldn't they? Jesus hasn't missed a thing. He sees everything we've done. He might say the same of us. I can see that it hasn't been straightforward. Certainly I can see when you built this church centre, that was not straightforward. Was it your first design? Wasn't cheap. You had opposition. You had unfair criticism. And yet there it is. I can see that you you suffered along the way, but you are a sacrifice in church. Thank you very much, Jesus. The problem with Jesus, I find sometimes, he doesn't stop when I'd like him to. <laughs> Next verse. Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. Well, hang on, Jesus. I mean, you've literally just run through four or five things that you love about Our church. You're not contradicting yourself. No. This this passage and that verse was so profound during lockdown for me because it is clear as day. You can try whatever clever theological application you like over that verse and it says the same thing. It is evident that you can be a serving Christian in a serving church and have forsaken your first love. You can be a steadfast Christian in a steadfast church and have forsaken your first love. You can be a suffering Christian in a suffering church. You can be a sacrificing Christian in a sacrifice- sacrificing church. And have forsaken your first love. Evidently, you can be doing all the right things from wrong relationship. Lockdown was a was a moment in history, and it was horrendous. But as we said time and time again, as we were having those online services, this is not a situation caused by God, but it is definitely a situation that God intends to use. Certainly I found it so f- profoundly sh- formalising spiritually. And I was stopped in my tracks and I had a look at me, and the truth about me, it's not easy to confess this to you, but duty had, had overwhelmed devotion. And and religion was driving me more than relationship. It was a fantastic opportunity, and it was incredibly transformational for me. I looked at myself, where I was, how I was, why I was, and things had to shift and change. The truth of the matter is, as I've spoken to so many people, sadly, during lockdown, some Christians have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. That's not an easy thing to hear, but that is the reality. I've spoke to too many people, sadly exclusively men, who feel disinclined to come back to regular corporate worship. As if that couple of hours on a Sunday morning was what was pushing their schedule over the edge. Like, really? Really? Spoke to a fantastic Christian guy just a few days ago who is yet to come back to his pre-COVID practice of prayer and Bible study. And he knows that that needs reigniting. You see, what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus is not saying, you don't love me. I can see that you love me. That's why he, he, he labours a point. He makes it clear. He sees what they're up to. I see you love me. His problem is this. You don't love me first. You don't love me first. There's a couple of things. Well, there's one fundamental thing you need to understand about God this morning without me being condescending. There are some things God cannot do. For example, he the immutable eternal God cannot commit suicide, okay? It's pretty obvious. Death is not an option for him. And the thing is, if he could die, he wouldn't be eternal. He'd just be very old. That's why there was this very profound sense of loss because we we knew our queen wasn't eternal, but it kind of was beginning to feel like that, wasn't it? She was just always here. God cannot die. That's not a limitation on God, that's a limitation on logic. You understand that, right? He's the perfect, just God. He cannot act like he's not God. He cannot act imperfectly or unjustly. He cannot show me a single instance where God has done that. He cannot step out of the perfect character of God. But there's something else God cannot do. He can't come second. He won't come second. He he either is God or he is not. He's not kind of almost God. He either does have preeminence in your life or or he does not. What does forsaking your first love look like? Well, for me, it was simply this. You've forsaken your first love if you have to find time for God when you already have time for other stuff. If you are having to find time for God when there is time for other stuff, that's not a problem. That's a problem. That's not okay. It's not acceptable. Jesus Christ is the only thing, only person who who can have kingship in your life without destroying your life. The idea is the best version of you is with Jesus on the throne. That is where you'll discover, as John 10.10 says, life in all its fullness. When Jesus has kingship, when the main thing is the main thing in your life the so truth about God from the first commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, all through the Gospels, that Jesus would have first place, first, 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 not prepared to be an also ran. That's not how this can possibly work. And I can tell you from personal experience that I think half the Ephesians listening to that epistle first read out to them will not have realised that they had forsaken their first love. Because they were doing church very well. And yet the main thing wasn't the main thing. And it's at this point in the narrative that the devil wants to join in. Very clear teaching from the book of Revelation, not from me, but from the book of Revelation. Very clear, unequivocal. You can't dress it up. You might be sitting there feeling uncomfortable, but that, dear friends, and I say this in love, is is unlucky, because that's what it says. So here we are. And now the devil wants to slide in and feed his condemnation into the narrative. That you don't measure up. You call yourself a Christian. Jesus doesn't. He sees through it. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. We know in Christ there is no condemnation. For me, during lockdown, I acknowledged where I was at. Because the next verses change everything. He says two things. He says you have forgot your first love. And he gives you the response. Very simple, two R's. Andy would be pleased with me if I had three R's. He'd love it, wouldn't he? But I've got two R's, which is a start, isn't it? First thing he says was, remember. Remember. Remember how it was when you first came into relationship with me. When when you didn't know any clever theology, you didn't know any worship songs, you were not involved in 38 different missions in your church, all you had was an understanding that you are saved by grace. Nothing that you've done, but because of the empty cross, because of Jesus Christ, you are saved by grace. And it changes everything. Remember that. Go back to that. When all you had was me as your first love. Hold on to that. And once you hold on to that, then he says, repent. There's only one thing in the Bible that you are called to repent for. It is sin. Right? It's the only thing you're called to repent for. So this is not just a case of, oh, I just need to rejig my diary. No, you don't. You need to stop. And acknowledge where you are at. And repent, as in change direction. Come back to your first love. Because that is the best version of you. That is the best version of you. That is your holy destiny. For Jesus Christ to be your first love, that's the best thing. Then we'll see you fly spiritually in every respect. You won't, be, you won't get a free pass from hardships, from challenges, from fears, from sadness. You've just got the King of Kings alongside you. And that changes everything. The great news is if you have forsaken your first love, the keys are where you left them. Jesus Christ hasn't gone anywhere. Let me end with this story. My mum, she went some, lots of years ago now to Niagara Falls. And uh, she's a brilliant storyteller. She, she hams it up. I don't know where I get it from. Um, but she, t- she came back and she had us captivated by her account of the Niagara Falls. You see, Niagara Falls has an American and a Canadian side. And I've never been there. I would love to see it. Hint. Um, (laughs) Did you write that down? (laughs) I would love to see the Niagara Falls. But she was on the Canadian side, and she arrived at the Niagara Falls with her party late in the evening. And uh, she went to her hotel room and dropped her bags off. And then she opened the curtains, and she talked about this most incredible moment where she was stopped and looked at the Niagara Falls that were illuminated. They'd lit them up uh, so you could see them in the evening Well, she was blown away. She said she stood there open-mouthed in stunned silence looking at this remarkable, fantastic, impressive sight, this na- natural phenomenon. Wow. Agra Falls, there in the distance. Amazing. Until the next morning when after breakfast they were taken out of the hotel into a park. On the Canadian side, there's a park right near the falls. I like I say, haven't been, but she said it's right near it now. Now it's a, it's a different ball game altogether different. Now she's right by the Niagara Falls. She's relocated herself from the hotel. Now she's right next to the falls. Now she's hearing the thunderous power of these incredible falls as the water goes over the edge and smashes into the basin. basin. So powerful, in fact, that there were little droplets of water that would occasionally hit her face. Such was the power and magnificence of the, of the falls. Now she's relocated. Now she's experiencing much closer the power of the Niagara Falls. But there's another way to experience the Niagara Falls and it's called the Maids of the Mist and they're little boats that you can get in and go into the basin. Now friends if you decide to get in the Maid of the Mist they're going to give you a raincoat and they're going to give you an umbrella because you're just about to get drenched because you are so close to the Niagara Falls. You are gonna be overwhelmed. You're gonna be, you're gonna have been right there in the midst of it and completely overwhelmed by the Niagara Falls. What's my point? It's pretty obvious. As a Christian, if you stay in the hotel room, God from a distance, though he may look impressive, changes nothing. You're not gonna hear from him. You've heard me say so many times. Christianity is a rubbish spectator sport. It's rubbish. It's boring. I can't imagine anything worse than coming on a Sunday and watching everyone else worship. In fact, it's a bit weird. And actually, see, if you if you get out of the hotel room and come a bit closer, be you know, giving the occasional droplet on your face, be, be, you know, being very aware of the power of God, but not getting getting drenched yourself, won't measure up. Oh, that God would raise us up in this fam- church family. Christians who are not prepared to stay in the hotel room and aren't satisfied by being in the park but just want to get drenched need to be reignited. So we're a church that changes our community. We're not a church that is changed by our community. We're in our c- community to be a transformational Family. The call on your life this morning, your holy destiny, is that you would come back if you need to and make him your first love. Because he changes everything. Amen.